Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? No. <laughs> anyway, I'm Laurel, and I'm a very grateful alcoholic. Thank you. I love you guys, too. Um, you know, I always, when I get up to speak, and I've, I've spoken at a, a few conferences, and, and usually when I get up to speak, I always compare it to the last time I spoke. And, and this is really tough because the last time I spoke was, I mean, incredible. I mean, people were laughing. They were crying. I mean, I had, I got like three standing ovations. Um, they put me on their shoulders and just carried me around the room. I mean, it was incredible. And then I woke up. And um, so anyway, um, no, actually, I'm I am truly humbled and grateful to have been asked to come to Nashville and speak. And I miss Nashville so much. I mean, it's incredible. And I was so excited um, to get the, the call to come here and speak and share my experience, strength and hope. And Hopefully I'll be short on the experience and, and big on the strength and the hope, because to me that's what it's all about. Um, I'd like to say I came from a normal Catholic family, but I guess when you put those two words together, it just, I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't gel. And, um, no, but my, I, I grew up um, second oldest of six kids in, um, I guess a normal Catholic family, and that means really, really dysfunctional. Um, but my, you know, my parents did the absolute best they could, and um, we we grew up in a very loving um, home. There was no doubt how much we were loved in our home. Except, you know, out of all the six kids, I was probably the one who grew up thinking I'm not loved. I'm not loved enough. I'm not lovable. Um, I can remember from the, from the, I mean, as long as I can remember, I remember feeling um, not a part of my family. I felt different, um, alone, uh, just really just weird. I thought I was adopted um, and just, just didn't fit in with anything and, and kind of kept to myself. And I was, I was pretty depressed from the very beginning. I like to say my life was going nowhere before I ever picked up a drink. Um, and the first time I drank, I was 10 years old, um, and it was it was nothing. I was just at a neighbor's house, and we drank, and, you know, it was kind of a little exciting thing, and I didn't think anything of it, and I'm sure I went home and prayed for God to forgive me because I didn't want to spend all that time in purgatory. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I guess the next opportunity I came to drink was like 11, 12 years old, and it was at friend's house. My parents had alcohol at home and they didn't they didn't really drink but they had like five bottles of stuff and by the time I um left home it was pretty much water at that point but um I drank a lot at my friend's house and I remember the first time I got drunk was it was like magic alcohol did for me what I I mean I only could dream of and it took me from this little uh scared um depressed girl who thought she was fat and thought she was ugly and thought she was just worthless. And it turned, you know, I, I was like six foot tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, and I was a model. And, you know, the world adored me. And it was just, it was magic. And, of course, from that opportunity, you know, from that chance, I wanted to get, I wanted to drink every opportunity I could, and I did. Um, I went to Catholic schools, um, which is probably part of my problem. But, um and, 
you know, even though I was in Catholic schools, I managed to get drunk at school. Um, you know, it was horrible. And and I also was extremely, extremely depressed um, in junior high school. And that's when I started um, self-mutilating. And I talk about that. That's a big part of my story. And, um, I mean, I hated myself so much and was filled with so much just worthlessness and rage that it's kind of what I did. It was either drinking or, or self-mutilating. Um, I went from the uh, Catholic school to a public high school, and I was terrified because we had 17 kids in our ninth grade class, and then when I went to this public high school, there was like 300 and something. And I remember just being so terrified that first day of school. I didn't know how to dress because we wore uniforms, and, you know, I was used to praying before school. I mean, it was, it was just the scariest thing, and I, I went into my parents' um, closet and started drinking, and all of a sudden I was like... What's the big deal? I mean, what was I so worried about? It's only high school. And, and that's what alcohol, again, was magic for me. Um, I started, my drinking progressed. I started drinking before school. I started using other drugs at this time. I did, if, if someone came up and said, take this, it'll make you feel good, I'm like, give me five of them. Um, and I'll drink with it on top of it. Um, you know, I, high school was just a total... You know, it was a blur. I, I drank as often as I could. Um, I was extremely, if I wasn't drinking, I was extremely depressed because I had the whole Catholic guilt thing on top of the, the drinking thing, which was just miserable. Um, I made it through high school. Uh, in my senior year of high school, I started going to counseling. My parents took me to counseling because of the, the suicide attempts and all that. And I was going to this counselor and... Every once in a while, he'd ask me about my drinking, and I'm like, well, you know, I drink once in a while. And he, he always brought it up, and I'm, I tried to change the subject. I'm here because, you know, my family doesn't trust me, and I hate my brothers and sisters and all that stuff. And he kept bringing up the drinking thing. Um, and at this time, I was carrying a fifth of liquor to school almost every day. I was using all kinds of drugs. I was, you know, I was just so messed up. And one time I went to see him, and he asked me about my drinking again. I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm, maybe I have a slight drinking problem. And he said, and I happen to have a fifth with me that day, but um, he said, well, if you don't have a, a problem, go pour it out. I was like, okay, that's no big deal. So I went in the bathroom, and I remember pouring it out. And, I mean, my heart sunk. It was like I was getting rid of my best friend, the only thing that, that I could depend on, the only thing that made me feel good in this world, and I was pouring it down the toilet. I went back in his office. He said, okay, you tell your parents you're an alcoholic or I will. I was like, alcoholic, isn't that a little drastic? I mean, maybe maybe we have, you know, a slight drinking problem. And I, I was like, well, I'll handle I'll deal with my parents. And um, I didn't mention that my dad was a... Um, a sergeant major in the Army, uh, career military, two tours of Vietnam. And you just don't go up to the sergeant major and say, hey, Dad, I'm an alcoholic. Um, so I had, to, you know, I had to kind of plan this out. I had to kind of think about it. And, you know, I knew it was probably best to start with Mom because, you know, you ease Mom in. Mom tells Dad while you're hiding in your room. She calms him down. So I got home that night, and I'm like, Mom, I've, I've got to talk to you. There's something i got to tell you. My mother was thrilled because I never talked to her, so she thought, oh, my God, she's going to talk to me. And um, <laughs> so I was like, Mom, there's something i got to tell you. And she's like, you can tell me anything. We love you. And, there, you know, 
as long as you tell the truth, there's nothing you can't, you know, that you cannot say to us. And I was like, Mom, you're really going to be mad at me. She goes, no, 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 as long as you tell the truth. And I'm like, you're going to hate me. I start crying. She goes, oh, my God, you're pregnant. I'm like, mother, it's nothing like that. I'm just an alcoholic. And, um, and when you're Catholic, it is a toss-up, okay? Um, so when my... Um, my psychologist had been wanting to send me to this hospital for a long time, and my parents were like, let's wait till school gets out, and, uh, you know, in the summertime, we'll send her. And as soon as she found an alcoholic, honey, I was in the van on my way to Winston-Salem to the nut ward. And, um, and this was my first trip. I was 17 years old, a senior in high school. And um, I got to this place. It was just, it was beautiful. It was one of those resort mental hospitals. And, um, you know, I got my roommate and, you know, did all the evaluation. They put me on medication and, and um, you know, signed you in all the little groups you needed. And one of the groups they signed me up was this alcohol group. And I'm like, what's up with that? You know, I don't need this. And what it was was these two men, old, old, old men from AA came in. And all I remember is them talking about seeing spiders and DTs and stuff. I'm like, whatever. Um, And they talked about AA, and I'm like, you know, that's a nice program. And when I'm old, you know, 30, 40, I'll be back because life will be over anyway. And um, somehow that's just not as funny to me as it used to be. But um, hello. So anyway, um, things started, ha- you know, I wasn't eating and just started going through some withdrawals and stuff. So, and I was a real brat in there. I'd abuse the staff. I mean, just cuss them out, scream at them, destroy things. I mean, I was insane. So they kept loading me up on different medications and trying to calm me down. And um, I ended up on some medication. And um, I remember I was walking down the hall, you know, probably cussing at the staff, flipping them off, doing all that stuff I usually did. And, and I remember all my muscles locked up and my jaws clamped shut. And I was trying to get to the nurse's station with all my muscles all cramped, you know, locked up and my jaws. And I'm like, you got to go. I can't talk. And they were like, oh, really? And I was like... No, you got to do something. you got to call a doctor. I can't talk. And they were like, um, okay. Wanna, you know. Anyway, it was probably hours later before they put me on something else to counteract that medication. But anyway, I was sitting in the lounge, and it was just, it was, I was sitting on the couch in the lounge, and I, you know, I was thinking about these AA guys, and they're seeing spiders coming out of the walls, and blah, 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 you know, and I couldn't relate. And I remember I was looking at the wall, and all of a sudden, all these people started coming out of the walls with knives, you know. And I, and I was still thinking, I'm not seeing spiders. I don't have a problem. And, um, and I mean, I, I was on so much medication, it was just miserable. miserable. Um, so I spent, I guess, two months in this place. And, you know, I was put on the medication, and I, it was during the... New Year's Eve, I remember, my New Year's Eve of my 17th year, and we were having a party. And if you guys have not had a New Year's Eve party in a nut ward, you have not lived, okay? 
They have the phonograph. Everyone puts on their best robes and slippers. And, um, you know, it's the Thorazine shuffle. I mean, it was just... It was just a wonderful, meaningful way to ring in the new year. And um, so I spent two months in this place. Um, and I went to my first AA meeting. These, these guys came and took us to this meeting in the, in the van. And I remember, you know, I was thinking of AA. And I'd seen this movie called Sarah T, Portrait of a Teenage Alcoholic, you know. And I remember in this movie, she was at this AA meeting, and she had some booze. So when they talked about taking us to the AA meeting, I was like, thank God, honey, because I could use a drink right now. Um, so, I, you know, I was all excited. I was getting ready for the AA meeting. I was like, finally, you know, I, get, I can drink. And um, we got to the meeting, and I got in the room and looked around, and I was like, I am not going to ask these people for a drink, you know, because I just thought it would be just flowing or something. I don't know. And I remember seeing the steps on the wall, and I remember seeing the word God, and I was like, it's a cult. Um, you know, I don't want any part of this. And I was just laughing, you know, when they're like, hi, I'm Bob. I'm an alcoholic. And everyone's like, hi, Bob. I was like, this is ridiculous. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. So I went back to the hospital and I was like, you know, I'm not going back to those meetings. And anyway, I went to my little group therapy and I was, you know, continued to be heavily medicated um, and my, the night before I left, I remember my, I got this letter from my little sister. I guess she was maybe 10 years old at the time, maybe younger than that. And she sent me the sweetest little letter. And I remember feeling overwhelmed with guilt and shame, you know, because here's my little sister who looked up to me and loved me and worshipped me. And I was no different the night before I was supposed to be discharged than I, than I was when I came into this place. And I took a Coke can and broke it up, and I mean, just sliced up my arms. And um, I went to group the next morning for my goodbye ceremony. And I remember telling everyone how important it was to talk about your feelings, look at me, look how good I'm doing, and, and soon you'll be going home. And, and just the biggest phony. I hadn't changed a bit. And I got home that night, and um, I was out using that night and drinking and with my friends again, you know, after all that, that my family went through, that I went through, and I hadn't changed a bit. Um, I went back to high school. I'd missed like 40-something days of my senior year. Um, and by the time I got back, it was actually pretty smooth sailing because everyone knew I'd been in the net ward. And um, it just made for an easier senior year for me because um, the teachers were afraid of me. Um <laughs> Everyone was walking on eggshells. I, I remember I was sleeping during English class, and the boy behind me thought it would be cute if he tied my shoelaces to the desk. Well, he didn't realize that, you know, I was this psychotic, you know, ex-mental patient, whatever. So I proceeded to pick up my literature book and beat the crap out of him and, um, in the middle of English class and just screaming. I mean, I was insane. And, you know, most people would have got kicked out of school, but they were... I don't know. They didn't do a thing to me. So I was like, this is great. And everyone was like, you know, I'd walk down the hall and they'd be like, it's okay. She was in the nut ward. Um, so, you know, everything was pretty, pretty nice after that. And I graduated. Um, I don't know how, like, I, like Spanish class. I mean, my last name was Alvarez, you know, and I took Spanish and it happened to be fifth period, which was not a good time for me. Um, <laughs> Because that's usually when I was sleeping everything off so I could get home and try and function. And 
I remember the whole year, all I learned how to say was no comprende. And for those of you who don't speak Spanish as well as I do, that means I don't understand. And um, so I got a B. I mean, hello. Uh, probably because if you give an Alvarez less than a B, I mean, that's, that's just bad. That's bad. Um, so anyway, I graduated high school, and um, I ended up, uh, I think my 18th birthday, I went out to party and ended up in the hospital the next day with an overdose. And um, I remember thinking, that must have been a heck of a party. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you end up in the hospital the day after your birthday, that was a party, okay? I mean, you can't beat that. And um, I spent five days in the hospital, and I was in the military hospital there, and they didn't know what to do with me. Um, I just turned 18. My doctor had told me, he said, you have got liver damage. He said, you have the liver of a 40-year-old man. And he said, there, you've got to do something. And they had someone from Operation Awareness, which is the military alcohol program, come and talk to me. And they took me to a meeting. I'm like, what is up with this? Every time I'm in the hospital, somehow I'm going to these meetings. But I went to this AA meeting on the base, Army base, and they went around the circle and introduced themselves, and they got to me, and I said, well, I'm Laurel. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not going to quit drinking, and you people can't make me. And they were like, you'll be back. I was like, right, right. Um, so I went back to the hospital, and I spent, I think, five days in there detoxing and you know, he gave me some medication, and he said, if you get the shakes, you know, just take this. I was like, okay. So I walk out the door of the hospital. I'm shaking. I take the whole bottle and went out drinking. And um, at this point, you know, it's kind of foggy, but I think my parents kicked me out at this point. You know, it's like, you know, you have destroyed our family. And if you're going to continue to live like this, you will not do it in our home. And that's probably the best thing my mom ever did. And I know how hard that must have been for her. I moved in with a friend of mine and, um, from work, and I was working at this time as a waitress in a, in a pizza place. It was Pizza Inn. And my dream was to become head waitress, um, save up enough money maybe to get my own place. Um, you know, I just had these, these fantasies. And, and my disease told me, honey, you got it going on. And, uh, and the truth was, I, you know, I didn't. You know, I, was, I shared a, a trailer with this girl from work, and it was this, this, uh, it was, it was just disgusting. It was so full of roaches that in order to shower, you had to reach your hand in, flip the light on, count to ten, you know, give them time to scatter and go wherever they go. And um, I remember Jennifer talking about the roaches, and I was like, "Yeah, baby, I understand." But anyway. So you turn on the light and wait for it. And then you had those roaches that were like, I ain't afraid of no light, honey. So you had to kind of herd them down the bath, you know, just kind of try and get them to scurry down the bathtub drain before you took a shower. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to shower. It's just not worth it. So I quit showering um, because it was disgusting. I mean, come on. And then um, I remember I, when, I, when I got kicked out of the house, you know, I forgot to bring, like, toothbrush and stuff. And it was like, you know, it's a bigger deal. I could spend 50 cents and buy another toothbrush, or I could get a quart of beer. So I just learned to swish little toothpaste in my mouth and use my finger for my toothbrush. 
Um, you know, and it's like I quit washing my waitress uniform because there's roaches in the washer, and that was disgusting. Um, so I, you know, I wasn't showering, wasn't brushing my teeth, and wasn't washing my uniform, and wondering why I made like five bucks a day in tips. And it was kind of, in, you know, it's kind of hard to build up that nest egg. Plus, at the end of my shift, I spent all my money on beer because I got a half price. So it was just, I don't know, my dreams just weren't happening. And um, so I worked at this place, and I remember I, I came home one night to the trailer, our little trailer, and I was sitting on the edge of the couch, and at this time I was physically really, really sick. I mean, I was not sleeping at all. I was drinking. I was using everything. And at this point, um, I also started shooting up. And um, I wasn't eating. I mean, I ate, I think, like once a week or something. I was just physically sick. And I remember I was sitting on the couch um, in the trailer on the edge because you didn't want to lean up against the wall because of the roach problem. But um, I was sitting on the edge. And I and I was just sitting there all alone one night, and in this trailer, there was uh, one wall was done in just mirrors. It was kind of a 80s, kind of 70s thing, you know, make your single wide look like a double wide. But um, so I, I, I remember I walked over to this mirror, and I put my head on the mirror, and I looked at myself, and I believe that God gave me a moment of pure and total clarity because I, it's, for once I saw myself as I really was, and I did not have it going on. Um, it, I was physically just as sick as can be, um, I, and it was like that I could see my soul that night, and I saw how spiritually dead I was, and it scared me to death. And I knew I needed help, and I, I remember thinking, I've got to get help. I can't live like this anymore. And my roommate came home, and I told her, I said, I need to get help, and we need to go now. Because I know me. If I wait till morning, I'll forget all about this this moment of truth. So we went back to the military hospital, and they referred me to another hospital, a psychiatric hospital. And I, I packed this little um, overnight bag. So I don't know. I thought I could go in for the weekend and change my whole life. So I packed, like, all the essentials, a bathing suit, um, a pair of jeans, you know, I was, I don't know what I was thinking, but I got in there and the lady was admitting me to the chemical dependency ward and she was, you know, telling me she was an addict and alcoholic and I was like, whatever, cause she just looked beautiful. I mean, her skin was radiant, her eyes just shined. I mean, she was just, she looked like an angel and she was telling me she was an alcoholic and I, I was like, there's no way you could be anything like me. Um, and I remember, you know, they left me. They signed me in and all that and left me. And, and when I signed myself into this place, um, it was 1980. Yeah, like August of 1980. And I signed myself in. I just turned 18 in June. I signed myself in. And back then the treatment was um, talk about your feelings and let's get all those out and you won't drink anymore. Um, so this is the kind of place it was. And. I remember as soon as she left, it was getting nighttime, and I was like, you know, just one more time. That's all I want, just one more time. And I called one of my friends, and I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm in. I signed myself in. I'm going to change my life. This is it. But could you bring me a little something just to help me get through the night? So he showed up, and he I don't know, brought me some acid, which, you know, mental hospitals and acid, they don't mix, okay? I don't recommend it. Um, so anyway, here I am locked up in this hospital, and, 
it was it was just a horrible, horrible experience. I ended up, I broke open my Bic razor, just sliced my arms up, ended up on the intensive care unit, um, which was a locked ward. And I have no clue. I mean, it was just kind of weird from then. Um, they loaded me up with so much medication. And, and one of the medications, which I, I had no idea, was Praldehyde, which is something they used back in the 30s for detox. And I was on Praldehyde, Valium, Librium, and Placidil for detox. So I don't remember a whole lot. Um, but I was on this intensive care unit, and, I, you know, it was like time for me to go. I was like, you know, I tried this treatment. It's not working, you know, so I'm going to go home. So I went to the nurse station to sign out, and they're like, well, you have to wait till morning, you know, and I didn't realize they were getting the commitment papers ready. Um, so I decided, look, i got to go. So I went in my bedroom, blocked the door, and thought I'd escape. So I, I took this lamp and busted the window. Back then they had glass. Um, busted the window out and ended up cutting my cutting my uh, arm pretty bad. So they busted in the room and loaded me up with medication, called an ambulance, and sent me over to the main hospital. And they, I was on a stretcher, and they parked me outside um, one of the treatment rooms and left me there. I thought, perfect. So I got up and left. I walked out of the hospital. And I have no idea if I had what if I had clothes on or a robe with my little butt flapping out the back. I don't know, but I had to leave. Um, and I remember when I when I walked out of the hospital, I just remember that that you know they were going to be after me. It wouldn't be long. I only had just very little time to get make my escape. And I, I remember slithering through the bushes and stuff and. Um, you know, I knew probably about that time everyone was getting the, the late breaking news report on their car radio. So all the cars that were going by were now hearing about the escape mental patient. And um, and the police were out. I mean, the sirens, you could just hear them far in the distance coming nearer and nearer. And, and the choppers. And, um, and since we are so near the military base, they would probably start mobilizing the troops. And... Um, <laughs> Anyway, I slithered and hid between the bushes and got to this drugstore, and I remember he had the TV on, and I was just petrified because I know it was probably just late-breaking news right then and there. Escape mental patient, and here I am walking in the store, and he'd recognize me. And I went in there, and I kept my head down and so he didn't see my face, and, I, you know, I used the phone and called my roommate. And she came and picked me up, and we, we snuck around the back and stuff, and I was in the car all slumped down. Okay, and um, and she said, you know, you got to go back to the hospital. You got to get your arm stitched up. I was like, great. So I went back to the hospital and jumped on my stretcher, and they didn't even know I was gone. So anyway, <laughs> egomaniac with low self-esteem, right there. Um. So anyway, they stitched my arms up, and I went back to the hospital, and, and they decided to commit me. So I got put on a locked adolescent unit, and I spent. The next three months, um, locked up and spent a lot of that time tied down to my bed like an animal. Um, they would, I was so out of control that they would, I spent so many nights sleeping with sheets across my chest, padlocks, you know, the restraints and spread eagle on the bed with mitts on my hands. And I mean, it was, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. And, 
and that's where I hit my bottom. You know, when, when we went to the bathroom, they would line us all up, and they'd watch us go to the bathroom. They'd watch us shower. They'd sit outside our uh, door at night and watch us sleep. I mean, it was, it was miserable. And they took me off all my medication, so I had nothing, nothing to, to numb it. Um, so I spent three months there, went back for another commitment hearing, and the judge released me because the doctor left my chart at the hospital. Um, the doctor that, um, when I got committed the first time, when they brought me t- to court, they had subpoenaed my dad. And I remember getting up on the stand, and my doctor, um, Dr. Blackburn, um, stood on the stand and told the judge how I was a danger to myself and others. He talked about every drug I used and, and just how mentally unstable I was and how sick I was. And I saw my dad sit in the courtroom, um, you know, career military, 30 years, sergeant major, two tours of Vietnam, and I've never seen his face look like that. I mean, his little girl was being committed to the mental hospital, and I'll never forget that. Um, so I spent the next three months locked up. Um, I, it was time to get recommitted, and I, I um, got released, and my parents wouldn't let me back home. And... Um, I signed myself out of the hospital, and I walked around for a while, and I had nowhere to go. I mean, I had nothing, and I signed myself back in, and and I signed myself back on the chemical dependency unit. And what happened was the three months that I was hitting bottom on the adolescent unit, someone came in and started a chemical dependency unit based on Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step. And so when I signed myself back in, I was in a real treatment program, um, I I spent another 30 days there, and we started going to AA again. And I remember this time I, I started, uh, I went to the meetings, and I remember thinking um, I had nothing in common with these people. I was 18 years old, and this was in 1980, and there was nobody anywhere close to my age. I think the next person was probably maybe mid-30s. And I remember I couldn't relate. These guys stood up here talking about drinking two-fifths a day or losing their homes, their wives, their cars. And I was like, it doesn't compute. And I remember I started listening to how they felt. And they're talking about feeling hopeless and worthless and, and the rage and, and all that. And I was like, I know what that is. I felt that. I can relate to that. And so I started listening to how they felt, not what they did. Um, I wanted, and something happened, and I wanted to be sober more than anything in this world. And I had, and there was a lot I had to do. Um, I went back and I started working the steps right away. I started getting involved in AA, just reading how it works or, or whatever I had to do. I remember it's time to get my 30-day chip, and and I didn't want anything to do with this God, this whole God thing, because to me God was the enemy. It was all His fault anyway that I was in my situation. And I thought, you know, I can do this AA thing, but I'm going to do it without God, which was kind of hard, except for the first step. Hello. Um, But I thought I could figure it out. Um, So I I, uh, was about to get my 30-day chip, and I called my mom, and I'm like, Mom, you know, I'm getting my chip, and I'd like for you to go to the meeting. And she was like, you know, I don't know. And I went and talked to the counselor, and I said, I really want my mom to be there and see me get my chip and see, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, why don't you do the third step? Why don't you turn it over? I was like, whatever. So I went back to my room. I was like, okay, God, if you love me, if you are there, then you will make my mother show up at this meeting. 
And then the phone rang, and my mom called. She said, no, I don't think I'm going. I was like, see, I was right. So I went to the meeting, and I got my 30-day chip, and I turned around. My mother was standing in the back of the room. And I said, I was like, what happened? She goes, I don't know. She said, I tried to take a nap. I tried to get busy. I tried to do anything. And she said, something made me come here. And I was like, oh, my God. It was the scariest thing I've ever, I was scary how how that worked for me. Um, I got out of treatment, um, and I was going to my meetings. My parents wouldn't let me drive, so I had to get rides from people. And I remember one of the guys that drove me to the meetings was sober like 30 years. And it was just, it was an incredible ride to these meetings because I'd be like, tell him something. He goes, oh, okay, this is what you're going through and blah, 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 blah. I was like, you're right. I mean, it was the coolest thing and, and that I had to depend on these people to get to my meetings. And I remember, um, you know, going to the meetings and stuff. And I really, really loved this program. I loved the meetings and all that stuff. And. But, you know, I was, I was thinking, you know, I'm 18, you know, and I was listening to all these rules about not getting involved, not hanging around your friends and changing playgrounds and all that stuff. I'm like, look, that's fine for these people. But I'm 18. I'm a mover. I'm a shaker. I need my friends. I need people. I need to date. I need a boyfriend. And, you know, I thought, you know, they this program hasn't had young people, so they don't know what they're doing. So maybe... I probably need to write a new big book and um, for for young people and, and the steps, come on, we got to switch the, you know, we just got to make a couple changes, bring it into the, you know, in the modern times. And I remember thinking, I went over to one of my old friend's house because I thought I could, and I went over there and I sat there with her and I told her, I said, you know, I just got out of my third treatment center. I almost died. I mean, I went on and on and on. And she's like, oh, my God. She's like, do you want a beer? I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I had two sips of this beer, and I, I like to call it a slippy poo or slip light, slip one, just one calorie. But, um, um, and I didn't get physically drunk, but what happened is my thinking was right back to the beginning. And I remember I, I rode my bike home, and I was, I was, uh, kind of had to call my sponsor and I was thinking you know if she tells me I have to pick up another white chip then I'm going out and getting drunk I am not picking up a white chip for two sips of a beer and I went to the meeting that night and picked up a white chip um and that was January 24th 1981 and I'm so grateful to say I've not had a drink since then um And, you know, I'd like to say it was easy, but it wasn't. Um, there were still a few things, rules that I had problems with, like getting involved. And I got involved with this guy who was sober a year, and I was just like, oh, he can help me. I mean, this can only be good for my sobriety. And, you know, we uh, I ended up, it, it's almost humorous because I did end up getting pregnant. I have to go to my mother again. Mom, you're really going to hate me. You know, I was like, whatever. You know, you're an alcoholic. But anyway, we got married, and um, and I remember thinking, this is it. We are going to trudge the road to happy destiny together with all these little AA babies behind us throwing little flowers. And I just had this fantasy of just this beautiful AA marriage. We're going to read the big book together and pray together. And it didn't work out that way. Um, he had a problem with working, 
And um, so, so uh, that caused a lot of problems. And I, rem- I remember, um, you know, we were, I was pregnant. We were newly married. And I remember he, he lost his job or quit his job, whatever he did. He's either lose or quit. Um, and I remember we had no money. And we couldn't pay the bills or anything. And, um, you know, everyone's like, turn it over to God. Turn it over to God. You know, so I'd like whatever. And I made this little God box, I remember. And I'd, I'd, uh, I had such a hard time turning things over to God. So I made this little box. And whenever I had problems with people or situations, I'd write it down, stick it in this little box. And I'd put, you know, our bills, our finances or whatever. And um, <laughs> stick it in my little box. And I remember... Um, Three or four weeks after we got married, we got all these checks in the mail. And I opened one. It was from my aunt. who I mean, these are people I haven't seen or heard from in years. And she, wrote, she had this letter. And she said, you know, my darling, I'm so sorry. I tried to order China, but the order fell through. So please take this check for $250. And I was just, I was blown away. I mean, number one, food stamps in China don't mix anyway. But, um... It was just an incredible, and I got all this money. And I remember taking my promises in circling number 12 that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Um, it was just amazing. And, I, and little by little, I started trusting in God and the power of God and, 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 and the power of prayer and the power of this program. Um, my husband and I ended up moving to Tennessee, and he had this great job. He was making like $9 an hour, which back then was a lot of money. And I was just about to deliver. Um, Ryan and we got to Tennessee and I was like this is it this is it we moved to um, Maryville or Merville does that okay Merville and um, I know you probably wouldn't understand if I said Maryville but it's Merville and um, so we moved there and um, after like a week or two I thought this is it this is it we're on our way we're on our way and he walked out on his job and he ended up um, getting a job at a Hardee's at night cleaning. And we lived off $250 a month, and our rent was 180 And I had this newborn baby. We had no car. We had no phone. We had absolutely nothing. And I want to tell you, I never missed a meeting. I was at the phone booth across the street every day getting rides to the meetings. And at this time, my husband quit going. And so Ryan and I, the little baby, would go to these meetings. And... Um, I remember thinking, I'm not going to make it. You know, sobriety is not worth it. This is too hard. You know, we didn't have food. We didn't, I didn't have um, diapers. I had to make diapers out of T-shirts and towels. I had to do all our laundry in the bathtub. Um, I was selling plasma, um, just doing whatever I had to do just to survive. And I remember every day thinking, this is the day I'm going to have to. We had a car. It was like a 1960-something, but it didn't run. It was just parked. And I remember today's the day I'm going to have to take the baby and live in the car. And every day it was like today's the day. And I learned what one day at a time means because I was like today I do have a roof over my head. We may not have it tomorrow. We may not have it later this afternoon when the landlord comes by for the rent. But right now, today, I have a roof over my head. Today I have food to eat. It may have only been a loaf of bread and some jelly or something, but I had food to eat. And I remember I started thanking God for everything. And and people probably think that's insane, but I was thanking God for the bills. And I was thanking God that we had no money. And I was thanking God that we didn't have much food. And I was thanking God we didn't have a car. And, you know, that I was thanking him for the roaches. I mean, just everything. And I remember praying, God, please let us get some money. Please let us get these bills paid. Please let 
my husband get a job or whatever. And I remember God did not answer my prayers. But what happened is he gave me the strength and the courage and everything I needed personally to get through this. And, you know, God may not change our circumstances, but he changes us in our circumstances. And that's what happened. Um, I ended up dumping that husband. um, And I ended up, um, I got to make this, you know, wrap this up or whatever. But I met my, my current husband. His father fixed us up on a blind date. And his father was the doctor that committed me to the mental hospital. Um, so that was kind of awkward. Um, and his, his mother was my sponsor when I first got sober. And my husband lived in Indiana, and I was in North Carolina. And I did what every good alcoholic does. I started working at a treatment center. And, um, but, uh, Rick had come down to visit his dad, and his dad's like, why don't you take him out? I'm like, whatever. And Rick was in medical school. And I remember thinking, what am I going to talk to this guy about? He's not going to like me. So I thought, we'll go to a club. It's really loud. He doesn't have, we don't have to talk. We can just, great music, you know. And and his dad called and said, well, you guys have to go out and eat before you go. I was like, great. You know, this guy's going to hate me. He's going to see how stupid I am and blah, 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 blah. And we went out to dinner. And he gave me the most incredible compliment because his mother was my sponsor. And they told me to pick a sponsor that you wanted to be like when you grew up. And he said, God, you're so much like my mother. And I was like, that's it. You know, I I was like, that is so great. And um, anyway, he went back to Indiana. And over the next two years, we dated long distance. We saw each other like every four or five months. We saw each other ten times and we got married. Um, And we celebrated 15 years marriage last July and um, you know I I moved up to Indianapolis um, while he was at school while he was finishing up his school and you know I got there and got a job at the treatment center up there and what happened to me is is I used that and I quit going to my meetings because I didn't want pe- I didn't want to talk at the meetings if the patients were going to be there and and I'll tell you I got so I mean, I was sicker than anybody I've ever seen before. Um, you know, not only that, but I suffer from depression anyway, so it was just, it was just a nightmare. Um, I wasn't working a program. I wasn't really going to the meetings, and I wasn't putting a lot of effort into my program. And it was, it was just, just miserable. And Rick got, um, did his residency here in Nashville, and we moved down here. And I remember I went to my first meeting at Bellevue. And I walked in this meeting and started listening to people talk. And, I mean, I just got home, and I cried and cried and cried. I could not believe what I was missing. I mean, I didn't realize what I was missing until I saw it in you people. Um, and I, I was like, i got to do something different. And I started getting involved in the, in the meetings here and the young people here. And, and one of the things that were so special to me was Girls' Night Out. And what happened was... I was so used to being around negative people, and I was around women, and all we did was talk about how fat we were, how ugly we were, how stupid we were, I mean, and we just fed it, fed off each other. And I got to Nashville, and I remember I was this Georgiana cat, whoever, and I start that, and they're like, excuse me, that is unacceptable. You are a goddess. You are beautiful. I mean, just, it was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, we, they, this group of women were, man, it was just... We are divas in our own mind, I'll tell you that right now. 
But anyway, one of the most special things was girls' night out. And we used to, we had it at my house a lot because my husband was always gone at the hospital. And I had little Ryan with me. And, and we usually would just get hyped up on coffee, cigarettes. And then around 11 or 12, Kat or I would head to Kroger's for hair color. And, um, <laughs> and we'd start coloring our hair. And it was the most incredible experience. And the next morning, I'd call the hair salon for emergency color correction. <laughs> And they like, was it girls' night out? I was like, yeah, um, okay, see you at 10, okay. Um, you know, and it was like, it was the most incredible times. I mean, you know, it's hair, it grows back, you know. Um, but it was, the most, it was just such a beautiful time in my life, and, you know, I just, God, I miss it so much. Um, we ended up moving to um, Tallahassee, and, of course, I've had another son since then. But I just want to tell you, the last year... Um, you know, I moved to Tallahassee, got involved immediately. My first night, we were, I went to a meeting. They were working on Ficky Paw. So I got involved in that right away, and that was like 10 years ago or something. Um, but I went through a lot of hard times also in Tallahassee. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about was I think I was sober maybe 10 years, 11 years, 12 years or something like that. And I started thinking maybe, just maybe, I could drink again. Maybe I'm not an alcoholic. I mean, I got sober at 18. All 18-year-olds drink out of control. I don't know many 18-year-olds who sit around sipping wine and drinking socially. So maybe I don't really have a problem with alcohol. And the thing is, I never talked. I never told anyone what I was thinking, and it just kept building and building and building. And I started fantasizing about drinking again. You know, my life is so different now. I'm married. I have kids. I'm responsible. I'm older. You know, maybe this whole adolescent drinking thing was just a big mistake. You know, I, I forgot to, I don't know, the, the mental hospitals and all that slipped my mind. But, um, <laughs> you know, and I remember I went to a meeting. And I was so terrified because I had this reputation. Hello, I've been sober so long. I can't possibly talk, talk about this. And I remember finally at the young people's meeting, I just blurted out. I said, I think I can drink again. And as soon as I said it, the fear went away. My my rationale came back. I mean, all I had to do was just blurt it out, and I, and then I was okay. And then I realized, God, that's insane. You know, because I, I heard you're only as sick as the secret you keep, and I really, really believe that. Um, I just want to talk about what's happened um, in the last, last. The last year has been incredible. And let me tell you, I've been in some funk since I've been sober. I've spent... Um, I've spent a lot of times in sobriety just so miserable, so depressed, so closed off from God, so closed off from people. And I just want you to know that if you just, for me, it was just keep on. I just keep going to the meetings or the keep praying, even though there was nothing. I felt nothing at all. I felt empty. I felt hopeless. I felt worthless again. And I just stuck with it. I did the next right thing, even though I hated it and hated the meetings and hated this program. I did the next right thing. And thank God. It was, you know, I went, I get through it. And, you know, sobriety has just been kind of up and down. And, and then, and now it's just a pretty much even keel. And so I don't beat myself up over those, what I call dry periods. But last year, and, and this is just kind of my own experience, um, I put my little son, I have a little son, Nigel. And last year he had to start kindergarten. So I put him in this Catholic school. And let me tell you, I am so anti-Catholic. It is unbelievable. And I ended up putting him in a Catholic school, which just cracks me up. And um, 
you know, and all the other moms are all religious with their little medals and crosses and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, whatever. You know, I just want my kid to have a good education. And one of my friends is like, you got to come to church. you got to come to church. I'm like, never. You know, I prided myself on being a recovering Catholic. And, and that was kind of my thing. And I remember, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to church. I have this great relationship with God. Um, you know, AA spiritual and me and God are like, so tight and we're so together and she's like well why don't you go talk to the priest I'm like oh my god you're kidding um so I made an appointment with this priest at this church and and I went in there and I I was just so defensive I went in there I said you know I'm recovering alcoholic I've been sober I've got this wonderful just incredible relationship with God which was true and we went on and on I said I do service work I I work the steps I work with others I do this and that and I remember him, he just, all I remember him saying is, it's not about how good you are, it's about how good God is. And that just blew me away. I don't have to do a thing. I mean, I don't have to be anything or do anything. And the, and the power of God's love for me is so incredible. And to me, that's been like one of the most important things in this program is my relationship with God. And anyway, to make a long story short, I decided to start going back to, to church, Catholic church, which is so, so unfathomable for me. Um, and it has been the most incredible year of spiritual growth. I, I can't even tell you how much. Um, you know, I realized I did have this wonderful, beautiful relationship with God, but I was meeting, my, I was meeting him alone. And, and then I started going back to church, and, and I'm meeting him with others who, who kind of believe in the same God that I do. Um, you know, and, the, and I just want to tell you that, the blessings that I've got in this program and just through sobriety and, and through my relationship with God have been absolutely incredible. And one of the things this past year that I realized is I am so grateful, not for this, not just for this program, not for being recovering, but I really believe God blessed me with this disease. I see this disease as a blessing in my life. And, and one of the things I didn't talk about is I, I was um, abused as a child by my brother. And that is a blessing. I really, truly believe that God blessed me with this disease. He blessed me with the abuse. He blessed me with my depression. He blessed me with my suicide attempts, my mental hospitals. It took every single bit of that to make me what I am today. And I wouldn't trade that for anything in this world. Um, and, so, and so I see all this just as a total, I feel like I'm a gift from God. You know, and I was thinking on the plane on the way over here, and this may be insane, I was thinking I was a courier for God. You know, because I'm coming here and I'm going to, you know, share, share my experience with you. And it was, just, it was just neat to think of it like that. Just, I'm a courier. But I wanted to read one thing and then I'm going to totally shut up. And I got this. And this is kind of what I hope to live my life. And, and it says, each time anyone comes into contact with us, they must become different and better people because of having met us. We must radiate God's love. And, and, and that's all I care about doing today. You know, and if I've helped anyone tonight, great. If I've radiated God's love to you tonight, then I've done my job. Um, because that's the most important thing to me is just the power of this program, the power of God, the power of sobriety, and, and just to give hope. Um, and I hope I've done that tonight. And I want to thank you again for asking me um, to share with you. Um, and I love you guys so much, and I miss you so much. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.